Back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right. Good morning and welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. Thanks for joining me today. Lots to get to. We're going to take a look at a little bit of the the GOP field through a couple of clips, maybe some things that have been going on there. It, I, I'm, I'm so sick of campaigning. This does not feel like we are just an endless, endless election campaigning, particularly when it comes to the national offices and the presidency of the United States. I mean, it just it, ne- it never ends. But occasionally some things come on on the scene that I think are worth talking about. So we'll we will take a look at some of those things today to get us kicked off. I found a quote from Dave Smith. Dave Smith is a libertarian comedian. I'll even tell you how sick I am of campaign stuff and really of politics in general. Even the Libertarian Party. Libertarians, it's it's kind of a running joke that libertarians are autistic somewhere on the spectrum. Uh, they're, they're very inside their heads, very thinkers. There's a lot of real infighting within libertarians, a lot of purity tests within libertarians. Everybody trying to outdo each other. It is truly, libertarians, one of the reasons they've never been successful, may never be successful, is that it's very much like herding cats. Very, very independent cats. You have to understand. We've got a Republican primary going on right now. But really, when you look at all the candidates... Oh, some of them you might call establishment, and then you might say, well, Trump or Vivek or whatever. Some of these other people are supposedly anti-establishment. But within the Republican Party, everybody's pretty much on board with just somebody with an R behind their name, ultimately. That might make some people angry. I understand there's some people that we just find in the Republican Party now just a no-go. But with libertarians, everybody is so independent-minded. It's just not easy to get a group of people together, so it's it's frustrating. But Dave Smith had one quote, and then I ran across this clip by him. I'll go ahead and play the clip first, because I think it's worth thinking about, because this is something that I think a lot of people, particularly when you talk about progressives, people picture the blue-haired barista as the liberal progressive out there, but understanding that progressivism is something that was started in the early 1900s and has been the real problem. This is Dave Smith. What's going on in the country? What are the problems that we're facing? And as you guys in this room know, it's a lot more than the craziness that's been going on over the last two years. It's really like the craziness that's been going on over the last 120 years that we're dealing with, okay? So what's the big problem in America? Well, let's think about it. Number one, progressives. The main problem here is progressives, starting with the original progressive era, which gave us the income tax and the Federal Reserve and the military-industrial complex, starting with the First World War, the FBI, the three-letter agencies, and the New Deal. 
They gave us the warfare state and the welfare state and the central bank. But, but it's not completely hopeless because to fight the progressives, we have the conservatives. <laughs> and the conservatives only have one little problem, which is that they're a bunch of progressives. <laughs> conservatives at their best are fighting for what progressives believed in seven years ago. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, you know, oh, you've got some people out there talking about the FBI, the ATF, these kinds of organs. Really, what they want to see on the conservative side is they want to see reform. Always believing that if you just get the right guy in there, or the right group of guys and gals, that they will take over these agencies and turn them over to the to the white hats, to the good guys, just not understanding that it, it's just never going to happen. The quote from Dave Smith that got me kicked off on him in the first place is he, he was, I can't even remember what he had a long, a long piece on something, but he ended it with this statement, which I just loved. He said, quote, however much you hate our government, it's not enough. <laughs> That's it. And he's right. So I will redouble my efforts uh, when it comes to hating the state. In the political theater, now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. You'll get 22 hours of it on, or 23. I keep forgetting I only do an hour now. There's 23 hours now a day that's not Mike Madison content related. So you'll get 23 hours on conservative media about the Trump indictment, or as I like to call it, his latest campaign commercial. Does this stuff not strike anybody else as political theater? I mean, the, the net result for this, and, and when I know I will be wrong, is if Donald Trump ends up actually doing time sitting in a jail cell somewhere. Then I'll have to go, wow, it was real. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people trying to indict him and that obviously the double standard that's used by our current Justice Department when it comes between the Biden family and the Trumps. It's, it's, it's obvious. But to me, uh, what the net result of this will be Donald Trump, he, he always announces these things, too. You notice that? It doesn't come out of the Department of Justice. Anytime there's been a raid or there's been a letter announcing an indictment, Trump is the first one to a microphone to explain, to let everybody know he's been indicted and he's going to be arrested. Now, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But what will the net result of this will be that uh, Donald Trump will raise a ton of money on this latest indictment. He will get many more people who maybe were sitting on the fence for Trump that will actually go to support him now because they see him as this victim and they believe that because this the people that they can't stand are going so hard after Donald Trump, there must they need to support him. He will increase his support. He will increase his money raising. On the other side of the aisle, what will happen there? The Democrats will raise more money. They'll go out and say they're going after Donald Trump, and they will have people screaming and people who don't want to vote for Joe Biden or whoever they end up putting up in 2024. They'll have more people lined up to vote for them over a Cornell West or if RFK Jr. is dispatched by the Democratic Party. People will flock to go vote for them because they'll say, we can't let that criminal back in the White House. And the end result, near as I can tell, will be another bogus election between two big party, big government, empire-building statists that I wouldn't trust to run a Buffalo Wild Wings. 
uh, but maybe that's just me. The Republican House, on the other hand, is hard at work. These honorable public servants are tackling the real problems of marriage uh, the average American out there faces. Now, you may say to yourself, oh, what, did they get together? Did they end the path to World War III? No, no, that wasn't it. Have they reined in this American surveillance police state? That might not have popped into most people's heads because most people don't be, seem to be too concerned about it. But not, no, that wasn't it. Was it. Are the Republicans finally using this majority that they have in the House to get the government out of our lives, to get them out of our schools, to get them out of our wallets? Well, no. I think this was on Monday. Breaking news, the House passes a resolution expressing support for Israel and condemning anti-Semitism and xenophobia. Now, this was the Republican-led House, but it was a bipartisan effort. The vote was 412 to 9 to one person voting present. So there you go. That is what your tax dollars are at work. They can't get much done when it comes to understanding inflation, curbing government spending to cause more. Oh, we're still headed to World War III. None of that really matters. But we have condemned anti-Semitism here in this country. So good to know. I ended up running across a couple of clips of Ron DeSantis talking about the political theater, the campaign season that never ends. And, and I've been really very interested. DeSantis is really losing steam. Now, maybe I am... Maybe I'm seeing this because the media is telling me this, and it's not, I don't watch mainstream media, but even alternative media and online and stuff. It, but it does. It, it feels weak. I'm, I am surprised. But Ron DeSantis does seem to be fading in the polls, doesn't seem to be generating a whole lot of excitement, and it looks like we are all but assured another Warp Speed nominee. This is apparently the best the GOP can do at this point. But I have said from the start that DeSantis was great for Florida during COVID. And I actually asked before he ever announced, I think this was last year when he was, people were talking about it. I said, oh, please just keep him in Florida. I want a state I can go to and possibly be free when they roll out the next pandemic or climate lockdowns. And I've been very worried that on a national level, he is a completely mixed bag, and a lot of it is truly horrific. Uh, I'll start with the good. This was just kind of interesting. If you look for a candidate for the Republican nomination, or if you're a smart Democrat, if you're a smart human being at all, one of the litmus tests you should have for any candidate is their stance on the central bank digital currency. And uh, Tucker Carlson uh, ask him about that, and uh, he actually had a pretty interesting answer. So um, how concerned are you that in the wake of whatever the next economic disruption that we're going to face is, and everyone kind of feels like maybe there's something coming, um, that will wind up with digital currency issued by the central bank? Well, if I am the president on day one, we will nix central bank digital currency. Done, dead, not happening in this country, in the state of Florida, because the Fed has been talking about this. Oh, yeah. And what the Fed said was, well, you know, we wouldn't do it without consulting the legislative and executive branches. Ideally, we would get a law passed. No, 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 no. That's not how the Constitution says. It's only ideal that you get a law passed. You would have to get a law passed. I don't think Congress would pass that. So I think the Fed may try to do something unilaterally. So what we did in Florida 
is we basically passed a law that says we do not recognize CBDC in the state of Florida. And I think other states are probably going to follow suit. That will jam their ability to do it through executive action. They don't have authority to do it. There'd be lawsuits and everything. For those who don't know what CBDC is, what they want to do, and this is tied in with like Davos, World Economic Forum, all these people. They want the Fed, they want to get rid of cash. They want no cryptocurrency. And they want this to be the sole form of legal tender. And they have said this publicly at like Davos and these other places. It will allow them to prohibit, quote, undesirable purchases like fuel and ammunition. And so the minute you give them the power to do this, they are going to impose a social credit system on this country. CBDC is a massive threat to American liberty on January 20th, 2025. It goes to the ash heap of history in this country. So, if- so there you go. That, that's a that's a, a good answer. And once again, it sounds like they've done something in Florida to possibly secure some freedom. I, I've I've been looking for places to move because, unfortunately, despite having lived the vast majority of my life in the state of Mississippi, I cannot trust that Mississippi can resist anything the federal government imposes on it because we're such a welfare state. I've looked at just apartments or rental houses in Florida, just out of curiosity, before I even saw this clip. But hopefully Ron DeSantis stays in Florida, where apparently he could do some good, because when it comes to the national scene, holy cow, is he bad. Uh, Here were a couple of other things. This is Ron DeSantis speaking to the Christians United for Israel uh, meeting. It took place, uh, I think this was past weekend. And he had this to say. That With me on January 20th, 2025, on day one, the days of appeasing Iran will be over. There we go. There's your Christians United for Israel, the time of appeasing Iran, which means not bullying them, not harassing them, not threatening them, not invading them. That is now appeasement to the neocons, of which Ron DeSantis most assuredly is one. It's a, it's a real shame, but that wasn't far enough. This was just another thing and that he said at this same conference. Again, this is the Christians United for Israel. One of the things that they're doing, though, is they're specifically targeting Israel. And so we made changes to our law to recognize that. And so today... I'm happy to make, and this law just took effect at the beginning of July, I'm happy to announce for everybody that Florida has formally instituted an investigation against Morningstar for violations of our anti-BDS law. We're not letting them target Israel and get away with it. We're using our tools to fight back. Now, when he says tools... See, now I have to reconsider my whole move to Florida based, based on that clip. Where can I possibly go? i got, I got to start investigating the government in Costa Rica, see what's going on down there. It, it, hopefully, maybe they're just so unstable that they just can't get their stuff together to harass their citizens. Understand, when Ron DeSantis says we're using our tools, he means we're using the government of Florida. Do you know what anti-BDS laws are? BDS stands for Boycott, Divest, and Sanction. And these are people who want to boycott uh, Israel or divest investment 
from Israel because of their treatment of the Palestinian people. Now, regardless of how you feel about that topic, and I do believe that the Palestinians are living in basically an open-air concentration camp, but uh, this is a country where we are supposed to be allowed to boycott anybody we want to at any time. This This really goes to you know, the cake makers and the website designers that have been, just been decided at the Supreme Court. If you don't want to do business with somebody, if you want to say, I don't want to do business with the government of Israel, I don't want to do business with the government of Ireland, I don't want to, it, that is your right to do. Florida apparently has anti, anti-boycott anti laws. Uh, businesses are not allowed if they make, I think it's just basically any public proclamation that they are boycotting any business with Israeli businesses because maybe they maybe they don't like the treatment. They don't like the Israeli government. I don't like any governments. Uh, Florida can, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what the, what the consequences of breaking the BDS laws, anti-BDS laws are, but they will use the long arm of government uh, to come after you if you dare to express your displeasure or to use your economic freedom you're supposed to have here to not do business with Israel, you're in trouble in the state of Florida. So Ron DeSantis, good on the CBTCs, good on COVID during COVID times in Florida, absolutely horrific on foreign policy issues. Ron DeSantis, a sinking ship, apparently, uh, when it comes to the campaign. One of the risers, though, before I take a break here, one of the fast risers on the Republican side is this Vivek Ramaswamy. Sorry if I am mispronouncing his name. A lot of people very high on him. He says some very interesting things. He's recently gone to some libertarian events and said what the libertarians wanted to hear. I find some of his takes to be interesting. He's too much of a China hawk for me. He wants to use our military to fight the drug war in Mexico. Another no-go for me. But this was just interesting that I ran across yesterday. Did you know about these things? Uh, There was a headline... Let's see if I can find this was, uh, oh, this was a Pfizer partnership release. Royvant, that's R-O-I-V-A-N-T, that is Ramaswamy's business. He's an entrepreneur. Royvant and Pfizer form new Vant company focused on developing TL1A drug candidate for inflammatory and fibrotic diseases. So uh, he's partnered up with Pfizer on some things. I have talked to just... uh, was it yesterday or last week, talked about the fact that people are pointing to some, particularly uh, the libertarians who have who have been kind of looking at this guy after he has spoken to some libertarian groups trying to figure out how much of his freedom talk is really well-deserved. Uh, he was a big masker, definitely thought that you needed, he couldn't understand why conservatives wouldn't wear the mask, why they wouldn't take the vaccine. He was pretty bad on COVID when that came out, but there was also this that a libertarian had had tweeted out. It was a story from the Soros Fellowship for New Americans. This is the P.D. Soros organization. Uh, The headline is P.D. Soros Fellowship for New Americans, Vivek Ramaswamy. So he got a Soros Fellowship. That's just kind of an interesting thing to see. And... uh, They also included a tweet that Vivek had sent out when George Soros said, quote, I consider Mr. Xi, talking about the president of China, the most dangerous enemy of open societies in the world, Vivek Ramaswamy, to George Soros, said, quote, well said, George Soros. Just kind of interesting. 
I am of the opinion that almost all, if not all, of these people that we are seeing campaign are not actually who we think they are. It is very easy to get into front of a crowd and tell them what they want to hear. That's the easy part. When you actually look into some of these people's past, and this includes uh, RFK Jr., he's a very interesting guy, has some great things to say today, but it is not that long ago that even RFK was talking for climate deniers to be jailed. It just seems that, and I include Donald Trump in this as well, it is easy to get in front of a crowd and tell them what they want to hear. You need to actually investigate what they have done to know what they will do. I'll be right back. One of the funniest stories, I talked about it when it first came out, was the cocaine in the White House story. Now, this has allowed uh, the right to point and make all the appropriate jokes against the Biden family and Hunter Biden about the cocaine in the White House. And as I said at the time, I mean, do you really believe that the Secret Service has never seen drugs in the White House before? Are, 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 we, re- are we really that naive? I guarantee you that during the Reagan administration, it was the 1980s after all, while Nancy Reagan was out saying, just say no, there were a lot of people in the White House at the same time saying yes to blow. And the Secret Service, there have been a lot of scandals around the Secret Service. I know they've involved prostitutes and some partying. I'm not sure if actually cocaine was involved in these parties, but for me to believe that the Secret Service are these shrinking violets clutching their pearls because they found some white powder at the White House, I'm sorry. My question is, why did this story even come out? There was a reason for this. If we heard about every time they found illegal drugs at the White House, I would imagine it would be every three to six months we would get a story on this for the last 40 years. There was some reason that they floated this out there. There's all kinds of theories about this. Maybe they're going to eventually pin it on Kamala to try to get her out of there. She's quite obviously on something. Weed seems like more appropriate for Kamala Harris. She's so... The the laughing... (laughs) The laughing... The laughing is a sure sign. I think that weed has involved that and the complete lack of any coherent thought. But there's all kinds of suspicions about that. But trust me, there's a reason that they let this story even get out. If it was a real story, if it was Hunter Biden's, if it was going to make the Biden administration look bad, they would have just covered it up like every other drug I'm sure they found at the White House for the last 50 years since the war on drugs kicked off. But anyway, the funniest thing, the payoff to it was that the Secret Service last Thursday announced that it's closed its investigation into how cocaine ended up at the White House without identifying a suspect. Quote, There were no surveillance video footage found that provided investigative leads or any other means for investigators to identify who may have deposited the found substance in this area, unquote. That is what the Secret Service said in a statement. Quote, without physical evidence, the investigation will not be able to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the vestibule where the cocaine was discovered. At this time, the Secret Service's investigation is closed due to lack of physical evidence. 
Wow, that was quick, wasn't it? So, so here's the tip to anybody. If you have any drugs in your home, if there's no video evidence of how they got there, I can assume, you can assume that the cops will just end the investigation. I mean, you probably have guests in your home and cable repair people and your, your postman's always lurking close to the front door to drop off letters. And I mean, over the course of a year, you have plenty of people coming through your house. And so if you do not, if you have not invited the, <laughs> the, the Amazon Ring cameras into your home, then if they can't find any, any video confirmation of what it is, they, they couldn't get any DNA off the bag. They, so if the cops ever bust into your house and you've got a coffee table covered in drugs, just look at them and go, I, you know what? We have been wondering who got that stuff there. We have been, we've been doing an internal inside our family, inside our home investigation. And gosh, God, we just, we don't have any video to provide you. We, we don't know who put it there. And I'm sure, I'm sure the police officers will certainly uh, abandon any kind of investigation within 10 days because, you know, that's that's the new norm. It's really quite amazing. See, I keep saying this, but the drug laws that conservatives have supported for 50 years are just a tool of control. They're, they're for the little people. I never fail to mention, too, that this drug war was started by the U.N., which conservatives usually don't like. But, of course, we're told by our political class and law enforcement that they must fight this war on drugs to keep us all safe. Same way they said about masks. Same way they said about business closures and school closures and things like that that they enforced because they're enforcers for the political class. But, obviously, uh, it was not a big deal when it was in the White House. It's just it's pretty easy to see. I don't know why people won't. But it leads me to this clip, really. I thought this was very interesting. This is a clip from the, uh, the World Economic Forum. And uh, one of the speakers was talking about kind of going back to these central bank digital currencies. But I wanted you to hear what he says in this short segment, because it is a point the Mike Madison show has made for about six years now. And the one final note I will uh, make is that if you think about the benefits of digital money, there are huge potential gains. It's not just about uh, digital forms of physical currency. You can have programmability, you know, um, units of central bank currency with expiry dates. You could have, as I argue in my book, a potentially better, and yeah, some people might see it, or a darker world where the government decides that units of central bank money can be used to purchase some things, but not other things that it deems less desirable, like, say, ammunition or drugs or pornography or something of the sort. And that is very powerful in terms of the use of a CBDC. And there you go. Now, why I find this so fascinating is because one of the points that has been made on my show for over six years now is that you can't pick and choose your freedoms. Unfortunately, conservatives try to do this all the time. We want to be free to live our own lives, but if my neighbor does something that I don't approve of, if they grow a plant in their backyard that I don't like and don't choose to use, then I'm okay with the government kicking in their door and hauling them off and putting them into a cage. You're either free or you're not. And what's interesting about this is, did you hear his list of what he said that these CBDCs could stop? Drugs, cheers, 
That's right, Mike. They're going to stop the drug trade. <laughs> right. Uh, the other was pornography. Oh, that's great. You can't buy porn using the CBDCs. Did you hear the other one? The first one in his list? Ammunition. See, this is why I tell you, you can't pick or choose your freedoms. You either demand freedom and live with the consequences. As a libertarian, I don't sell any kind of utopia. Human beings are capable of horrible things and stupid, stupid mistakes and just all kinds of stuff. But you have to, why we don't trust ordinary people with their freedom, because they're people after all, right? Fallible, stupid, sometimes evil people. And we decide instead to give that freedom, control of that freedom to other people. We just call them politicians. We call them bureaucrats. They're, they're still people with all of the same levels of evil intentions, I would say probably more at the political level. But we, because we don't trust little people with their freedom, we give control of that freedom to just other human beings equally fallible, if not more fallible. But I, this is one of those things that you should start to get when you hear ammunition, drugs, and pornography all put together. Understand that while you might want, not want to partake of drugs and pornography, and God love you for that, and not pushing any of that stuff on you, but the problem is, is that when you give government the control over the things you don't like, you will find they will come for the things that you think you should have things that you do want. You're either free or you're not. The World Economic Forum is going for not. There's also one story, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, I'm running a little long here, but there's one story about uh, they've got new AI out there. It watches cars and tells cops if, dr if you're driving like a criminal. It actually knows where you're going, uh, this story, I don't have enough time to get into it. It's got something like 16 million license plates. Well, the story was originally about New York. Well, they busted a guy who was actually running drugs because they they knew where his car was going over and over and over again. And they said, these routes, AI alerted, these are like drug smuggler routes. And so this is, oh, what a great heartwarming story. What could possibly go wrong? Look at that, Mike. They used this great technology to bust somebody who was running drugs. But that means you're in these databases, too. There's actually, they talk about one company, I don't even have the story pulled up, I can't remember their name, that the story was about, but they've got a rival too. The rival of this mass sur massive surveillance system that d decides whether or not you're driving like a criminal, the rival is called Flock, F-L-O-C-K. Flock, a rival that runs a similar pan-American surveillance network of license plate readers. Flock. Isn't that perfect for controlling the sheep? I'll be right back. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WIAB. Uh, I wanted to finish up today with a couple of headlines or stories from the economy. There's some sad things brewing. This was almost funny, but, but sad. that's really sad. We have a serious lack of financial understanding in this country. The school, 
the, the schools have these kids for eight hours a day for 12 years and teach them basically nothing about the real world. They give them no tools to succeed in the real world. Uh, this is somebody who posted something. I guess this is on a Reddit feed. A headline to this person's little letter here is, First mortgage payment done, 90% to interest and 10% to principal? Question mark. They say, is that a normal disbursement? Original loan was 420000 one payment made so far of about 3300 and it only knocked 450 off the loan balance. Taxes and insurance are included in the mortgage payment, but still, only 450 going to principal each month seems rough. Fannie Mae says 90% has been going to interest and 10% to principal. Any way to change those percentages? Or does that automatically change as I make more payments? Still new here. Thanks for any help or guidance. This is somebody who has not, uh, they've not had amortization explained to them. This is somebody who just bought a $420,000 house. Not that long ago, people that were getting $420,000 homes were generally some of the more sophisticated, successful people among us. Now it's just a, a regular starter home. A $3,300 payment. Amortization, too. If I had more time today, I'd probably go into it. Isn't that great? Isn't that great the way the banks get all their interest up front? And then if you default after you've paid all of your interest, they actually get the entire asset from you. You basically have no equity in it. It's really, really quite a genius system. But that is uh, one of the great debt traps uh, of our society. I also noticed, and I did not know this, did you know, speaking of the World Economic Forum from that clip earlier, did you know they were founded in 1971? I did not know that. We've really just started talking about them in earnest, probably about the last five to ten years, particularly the last two to three around COVID. But the World Economic Forum was founded in 1971. So I guess the financial titans emerged when Nixon, the Republican, took us off the gold standard. Kind of interesting timing, isn't it? It's almost as if they knew... Uh, what they could do with a debt-based fiat system where they could simply print up money for themselves to increase their power and their profit. I don't think that timing uh, is any accident, and it's oh, quite interesting. Uh, i tell you what, I'll take a break real quick here because the last couple of segments, the last couple of stories go together to finish up. But Charlie Munger, this is uh, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, one of the most successful investors of all times. Now, you can't argue with the amount of wealth that they have accumulated there with uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, it's just that his aw shucks eating ice cream from Dairy Queen and drinking a Coca-Cola. Uh, I believe that image is a little manipulated because he has used the government, government backstops to assure him huge returns in many of his purchases over the years. He, he's not your average investor, just smarter than the average bear. Uh, he is a creature of the system. But his right-hand man just does not understand how people today can be complaining about things. I'll explain that when we come back. Stick around. You can't see the end. Skies cock back. Shot get which can't defend. The rain then sends dripping. Acidic questions. Forcefully. The power suggestion. Then with the eyes shut. Looking through the rust and rotten dust. A small spot of light floods the floor. And pours over the rusted world of pretend. And the eyes ease open. And it's dark again. From the top to the bottom. From the top I stop. At the core I forgot it. All right. Final segment for the day. I should have my fast. But I wanted to comment on this. Charlie Munger, as I said. Billionaire Warren Buffett's right-hand man and a billionaire himself uh, does not understand how people are so 
agitated these days. Billionaire Charlie Munger, the renowned investment partner of Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett, says people should strive for greater happiness, expressing his perplexity towards the current lack of contentment among people. Munger emphasized the disparity between present circumstances and the hardships endured, endured throughout history. Addressing attendees at the annual meeting of the Daily Journal, the 99-year-old highlighted his own formative years during the 1930s. Munger recalled the profound challenges Americans faced during the Great Depression, expressing his surprise at the comparatively lower levels of happiness observed today. Munger explained, quote, It's weird for somebody my age because I was in the middle of the Great Depression when the hardship was unbelievable, unquote. Now, that's true. We, ha we do have some first world problems. We've got a country that is addicted to outrage. We actually have had to dip down into microaggressions to find things to be unhappy about over the past 10 years. But I think he misses uh, quite a few things, some differences between now and the Great Depression. Uh, Depression. First of all, uh, the government, at the time of the Great Depression, the government hadn't spent decades destroying the family as a basis of human support. It used to be that families rallied around each other, that friends rallied around each other, because that's how you survive. That's the way that the country had been since its founding. But the progressive era, to kind of tie a bow on this show that uh, Dave Smith was talking about at the beginning of this thing, came in and got everybody to say, oh, the government will take care of that. This is when they rolled out the, the New Deal, and now the government is, is the Mac Daddy. People sitting around now waiting for the government to come help them. The government actually creates these problems because of its massive size and horrific record. So that's one of the differences. We were also, back in the 1930s, a manufacturing country, not a consuming country. We have now been sold on endless debt just to acquire things that we don't need through debt. People in the 1930s, it was a difficult time. People stood in bread lines. They did not have jobs. I think we had, what, 25% unemployment at one point. I would say we've been knocking on 25% unemployment uh, from time to time in modern times, too. It's just that they juice the numbers. But people in the 1930s also were not talked into, were not told that the way of life in the country was to have endless credit cards and credit card debt, home equity lines of credit, debt, college debt, an eight-year car payment, and housing costs that eat up 50% more of your, or more of your income. We didn't even have, back in the 1930s, we didn't have massive chronic disease and huge medical expenses. So the stresses that people are under now are real, most all a consequence of government, big bank, fascism, takeover of our society. But it should not be, it should not be looked at like we're so weak now when they were so strong back then. There are true headwinds, and it is all consequences of this government and fiat banking debt system that we have. And I want to finish with this. I thought this was interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's an address to boomers about current mortgage rates. Anytime a millennial is trying to explain this to a boomer, they always use the same example. They go, well, my interest rates were 15%. You have six and a half. You're so lucky. Well, let's look at it this way. If you bought a house for $80,000 back in the 80s, a 20% down payment would be 16 grand. And the average person was making around $30,000 back then. So your down payment was just half your yearly salary. And then the loan you would have on it would be about 60000 
So in order to pay off the 60000 if you really wanted to, it's just two years of your salary and you could have your house paid off. Well, let's fast forward to 2023, and I live in Orlando, so I'll use this as an example. A $400,000 house with 20% down would cost $80,000, just as the down payment. The average person makes 50000 so it's almost twice their yearly salary just for the down payment. Then they've got a $320,000 loan left that they have to look at. That's nearly seven times their salary to pay off the loan. Regardless, and then you go, well, 15%, we had a higher payment. All the people buying houses right now, I'm a real estate agent here, so I see this all the time. It is incredibly rare that people are putting 20% down. People are putting 3 to 5% down, which is, with a 6% interest rate, is still shooting the mortgage through the roof. People's payments on these homes are $3,300, $3,500 a month on an average, simple, three-bed, two-bath home. So that's the difference. Millennials are complaining and people can't get mortgages. I don't know the answer to it, but I'm in this stuff every single day. And most of our clients, I'm not kidding you, are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. It is so rare for us to see a millennial or, or especially anyone younger, except a couple the other day. And the agent pulled me aside and said, hey, they got to send this video to their parents because they're the ones paying for it. Yeah. So the math does not add up. We've been sold quite a bill of goods. So Charlie Munger, there's a good explanation of why people aren't especially cheery today about our economic situation. That's all the time I got. Have a great day. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.